Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. For the entirety of the month of April here at the Afternoon Special Podcast, we've been talking about all things Saturday morning cartoons. From iconic shows to the general history of the concept, we've got a pretty good sense of what made the Saturday morning cartoon so great. But the biggest question that we haven't been able to answer yet is what happened to the Saturday morning cartoon? Why isn't it something that still exists? At least, why doesn't it exist in the same way that it used to? What killed the Saturday morning cartoon? Well, there are a lot of factors at play here, so we're going to try and address them all in this one episode. So consider this an autopsy of the Saturday morning cartoon. Like I mentioned, for the entire month of April, we've been talking about the Saturday morning cartoon, with episode one being a general history, episode two being a history of superhero Saturday morning cartoons, including X-Men the Animated Series, and episode three being a deep dive into the Warner Brothers animation lineup from the early 90s, including shows like Animaniacs and Tiny Toons Adventures. If any of that sounds of interest to you, go and check out that those episodes after you listen to this one. So, if all that sounds good to you, let's get started. So, contrary to popular belief, the decline of the Saturday morning cartoon began as early as the 1960s slash the 1970s. One of the biggest factors in the decline of this programming block was legislation, and that was introduced around this time. If you've heard from previous episodes, you'll know that at almost every single decade of this programming block, there was some interference from parent groups and the government on the state of Saturday morning cartoons, with both groups citing concerns around displays of violence, stereotypes, and most prominently, commercialism. Now, like I said, a lot of this was beginning to bubble up in the late 60s, and the main group that was kind of the biggest opponent of Saturday morning cartoons, but more so everything around Saturday morning cartoons was ACT, or Action for Children's Television. This was a group comprised mainly of parents who basically were beginning to see a lot of the not-so-great parts of children's television and wanted to take action against it. So much of it began in Boston around the local television show Romper Room, which had a big, big, big tie-in with toys and a lot of advertising that was catered specifically to kids. Eventually, their scope began to expand beyond Boston into a kind of national effort to basically combat a lot of the, like, boisterous showings of commercialism that a lot of these shows that were on at the time uh, were, were housing. That and a lot of these shows were kind of were considered to be uh, violent, showing stereotypes of, you know, less 
savory character traits. And a lot of these parents in this group were concerned. Parents, teachers, you know, advocates for children. They were really concerned. Um, if you remember in episode one, I mentioned that there was kind of a, or it may have been episode two, but a lot of the first run of superhero shows was kind of taken out of out of rotation because of act because they began to target these shows like the fantastic four and space goes because they were a little bit more violent and so because of that that made way via congress and the fcc basically just being like going to the networks and being like hey man like you gotta take these shows off the air because these parent groups are on our ass right now and it made way for the more Kind of like what we think of more quintessentially uh, 60s and 70s Saturday morning cartoons like Scooby-Doo. So a lot of that very lighthearted, fair comedy show began to be the cartoon du jour for this time period because of, of ACT. And I don't want you to think of ACT in a mean or in a like vindictive or like trying to stop the fun type of way because the fact of the, of the matter is that children's television still around this time was a bit of a, a bit of a wild wild west of sorts there was a lot of things going on at one time and there was just a lot of things that these networks and more so the companies and the advertising agencies were able to get away with that now we would obviously look to children's television and be like yeah we probably shouldn't have those things but children's television was really kind of treated like any other positioning of of television so in the early 70s this is when a lot of this legislation and a lot of the tango between act and the fcc and these network slash you know like advertising companies this is when this dance of theirs kind of begins to really pick up you would think it would be more of a coordinated effort but you know capitalism speaks volumes so in 1971 um act made a very concerted and very public effort to get the fcc to ban all advertising that was happening around children's programming um, they were very persistent that this was kind of the leading problem of theirs that they were trying to combat. And so on Christmas in 1971, they sent a present to the head of the FCC, basically like it was wrapped up in a present and it was a petition to get them to end advertising on all program, all programming, you know, geared towards kids. This didn't work. Uh, the FCC clearly, again, was being heavily persuaded by these advertising companies and all of the products and a lot of the things that were being sold to kids. Those were speaking volumes and they were probably lobbying just as hard, if not harder, um, to get that content to stay connected with children's programming. Because who are, who are groups that are going to be most heavily persuaded to buy something it's kids especially if you present it as something that they need to have something that they shouldn't have because their parents told them that they shouldn't have it or some weird mix of the two so then after that act kind of had to recede and change up their strategy a little bit and by again in 1970 they began to challenge the um advertising of things like vitamins like vitamins were one of the biggest um, like 
products that were being advertised to kids around this time. And this was when vitamins were looking like candy. And the kind of uh, hypocrisy of advertising vitamins to kids is that these vitamins were on the bottle explicitly stated, keep out of reach of children. And so that kind of created a little bit of a what's going on here? Why are we advertising so heavily this product that kids can't even take, but we're enticing kids to want to take them. And eventually the vitamin companies themselves, you know, personally took their programming off of the children's block of, of television, thankfully. But as we go on, the early 70s finds more instances where ACT is really trying to garner public attention for this issue and really tries to get a lot of support around the fact that advertising is kind of like really, really hurting these kids' shows. And around this time also, we're beginning to get a lot more data on how television has affected children. Because by this time, feasibly speaking, you could have about 20 years worth of data on the effect of television on kids. So around this time, there was a symposium where they invited a lot of like thought leaders in children's television programming, including Fred Rogers, aka Mr. Rogers. And they basically just talked a lot about like how they can make positive change with these, you know, these television shows that are geared towards kids. Because... As I've talked about on you know previous episodes, especially with Sesame Street, a lot of children's programming was intending to entertain them, but it was also intending to kind of rear them as consumers. And that is like was that was one of the biggest plot points almost of a lot of these children's shows. Like, yes, it was to be a fun little thing that you watch on Saturday morning, but it was also a co- covert effort covert or actually overt um, effort from these advertisers to get kids to want to like hyper consume almost and entice them to want more and more and more. Every time they turn on a television show, they should be seeing something that they're going to beg their parents to want to buy. And ultimately, that's just super duper harmful on the kind of like the psyche of a child. They shouldn't go into every form of entertainment and be confronted with a big old like ad they should be able to be entertained without this kind of like you know hidden agenda almost so by 1973 there was a um kind of a good a good a good point a good step being made by the national association of broadcasters that basically limited the commercial time for children's programming down to about 12 minutes per hour Um, which was a significant change from what it was before. And this also, this, you know, kind of like guidelines or this code also basically prohibited like the host of children's shows from appearing in the advertising as well. And ultimately, this kind of had an adverse effect of killing a lot of locally produced um, children's television because a lot of the money being made by those people on those shows was via the advertising. And so the networks that were showing those shows didn't see the value in it if they had, if they basically couldn't sell, you know, products featuring the people that were in these shows. But also it wasn't that big of a loss at that time, not as big of a loss because most of these shows were animation and they didn't have actual like human host so this didn't affect a ton of shows but it did you know 
ultimately kind of be the death knell for locally produced children's entertainment, um, which is, you know, not great, obviously. Like, I think everyone in a given market has a show that they remember as being like the show that was for that specific region. And that's a lot of what Saturday morning cartoons were. Like, there were some standards, you know, like there were some shows that everyone nationally saw. But by and large, it was the local affiliates of any given network. So, an ABC, NBC, CBS deciding what they were going to show their specific region. So, a child in California, maybe watching something different than a child in Nebraska, which is different from a child in Florida, which is different from a child in New York. You know, it's it may be like some standard shows that were reaching everyone, but by and large, it was like these little curated bits, region to region. And so finally, the last kind of big push of the 1970s from ACT comes in wanting the FTC, so the Federal Trade Commission, to basically kind of uh, ease up on the advertising of these like high sugar foods. Um, So the sugariest cereals, the sugariest candies, like this, you know, sodas, things like that. They wanted to kind of be like, hey, let's turn down the volume on that. And they did. And uh, they did it in the way of like, hey, we won't advertise these things to small children, but we'll advertise it to older children. How about that? Is that a good, is that a good, you know, olive branch between us? And so it goes on. The 80s is when it gets a little little bit interesting, though, because with the, you know, changing of the guard, a new presidency comes in a lot of different changes. And so by the 80s, Ronald Reagan is president and he appoints Mark S. Fowler uh, to be the chairman of the FCC. And so the FCC up until this point had been at least willing to hear what ACT was saying, even if they didn't put any big, you know, things into play as far as like changing how advertising worked on a lot of these channels. But essentially with the appointment of Mark S. Fowler, a lot of the things that were happening in the past decade in the seventies with advertising around children's educational or children's programming, not children's educational programming. A lot of those things uh, were basically just repealed essentially. So also in the late seventies, you got a bigger push for uh, programming that was more educational. So that's where we get shows like Schoolhouse Rock and Captain Kangaroo and a lot of those shows that were garnering success and that kids enjoyed. And by the 80s, those shows kind of fell out of vogue and were pulled off the air and were or just canceled because of the kind of changing of the guard that was happening at the FCC. So essentially, there was this belief that um, from a lot of leadership at the FCC in the 80s that the children's television market should be dictated by the, you know, the marketplace. There shouldn't be any you know, like hindrances on what can be advertised during children's programming blocks. Uh, And there wasn't really a ton of consideration to how this advertising may play a role on the children that were watching it. So with that, there's kind of this just complete like stripping (laughs) that, that takes place with a lot of these, these shows and you kind of just get you started at square one essentially and that's what the that's what act kind of saw it as which is this kind of like repealing of almost like a decade's worth of work that they had done to get these at least small things in place to make children's programming a little less 
capitalistic in focus. And so the 80s is kind of the heyday of the Saturday morning cartoon, but it's also the heyday of advertising during the Saturday morning cartoon. And there was a massive push with shows like the Transformers, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, He-Man, Care Bears, like all these shows had these massive merchandising tie-ins with them. And if you just were like of a child of the 80s or if you were someone who was aware of kind of what you know toys looked like around that time like most of the biggest franchises or most of the biggest like toy sellers also had a television show companion so you had television doing the front end work of getting kids like enticed to want to see who these characters are or get enticed to like want to have something of their own and then you come up behind with an advertisement for a toy that they can buy. So it's kind of this double whammy effect that's happening here. And also during this time, it's not like ACT just kind of like rested on their laurels and didn't do anything. They brought a lot of cases, court cases, against the FCC for basically a lot of the repealing that they had done of the work that they had done in the 70s. And eventually, by the late 80s, early 90s, the Final the the act that they had tried to get pushed around in the 1960s, I think, which was the Children's Television Act, finally, which gave some actual like concrete, basically it gave a much more concrete view of what children's television should look like, was finally passed. And a lot of the advertising, the heavy advertising that we would see in the 80s was beginning to to wane a little bit. But ultimately, the cross-section of this act finally getting passed in the 90s and the just general decline happening internally within the television industry of the Saturday morning cartoon, they almost kind of reach an impasse. I want to take a quick moment to shout out today's partner, which is Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens in the morning before getting my day started and it literally makes me feel kind of unstoppable. I immediately fell in love with how easy it made getting in all the necessary vitamins I needed for my day. As y'all could guess, I'm expending a lot of brain power every single day. Like I'm constantly reading and writing and taking in a lot of information. And that just takes a lot out of me and it takes a lot out of my brain. So I started taking AG1 and I immediately felt this like energy boost and it's honestly made creating content like this podcast so much easier for me. Plus, it was so easy to fit into my routine because all I have to do is mix a scoop of powder into water and I've got everything I need to go for the rest of the day, which is a lot simpler than trying to keep up with which vitamins have I taken, how much do I take and all that jazz. It's literally perfect for me. Also, I've never felt so like healthy, like health core, like that girl, um, than when I'm taking my little nutritional drink at the start of my day. Like it's just a fun little activity for me. So if you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com afternoon. That's athleticgreens.com afternoon. Check it out you won't regret it. So flipping over to the internal work that's going on, television just as a whole was beginning to change quite a bit. Meaning that how we were watching TV and how TV was being produced 
was not being done in the same way that it was being done in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So by the 90s, one of the biggest factors in the decline of the Saturday morning cartoon is that the producers of it were no longer doing it anymore or they were closing. So like the some of the biggest animation studios that were producing Saturday morning cartoons were Hanna-Barbera, Filmation, things like that. And they were already beginning to kind of reach a bit of a decline themselves. So if the biggest producer of these things is no longer producing the thing, then the thing doesn't exist, right? Also, you kind of get this expanding effect that's happening with television, especially children's television. So again, in those early days, it was basically three places you could go for this type of content, ABC, NBC, CBS, networks. But now cable is something that is a lot more prominent. A lot more people have cable and you get channels that are solely dedicated to children's television like Nickelodeon, like Disney Channel, and later in the 90s, Cartoon Network. So you get a lot more channels that make concerted efforts to have children's programming on all the time, which is a lot more enticing to a child than having all of their programming being sequestered to what were considered to be kind of like unpopular time slots, aka after school, like around like three to maybe six, and the Saturday morning block. So that's happening. And kids are like, there are more avenues for children's entertainment as a whole. Then Around the mid 90s is when we get to see more of the EI uh, mandates that are happening. And EI basically is kind of a, a part of the Children's Television Act, which basically said that there needs to be some educational or informational element to whatever children's programming is on. So oftentimes when you watch shows, especially from the 90s and around the um the 90s to about the 2000s and usually you'd see it on pbs um you'll see a little ei in the in the top right or left hand corner and that basically was just like there needs to be an ele- like there's an educational element to this show whatever that may be <laughs> so around this time because of the ei regulations this caused a massive change in just how shows were being created too because they kind of were having to be curtailed to this very strict guideline that I think made it difficult to just create a good like children's show. But when you have to kind of shoehorn an educational aspect into it, it's like, okay, okay. Also, another thing that doesn't really have to do with television all that much, but caused kind of a, it was a little bit of a a sword in the side of Saturday morning cartoons was the introduction of home gaming devices. So, you know, Nintendo's and like Sega systems were beginning to be a lot more prominent in households. And so kids would spend their mornings doing that versus watching TV. And obviously you can't do both um, because you need the TV to be able to show whatever game that you're wanting to play. And those things were happening in the 80s too. But by the 90s, it was a lot more prominent Um, because a lot more households had them. So it's like households had them in the 80s, but like 90s, it was, it became like a necessity. Like almost every household in America had a gaming system of some kind. And most prominently, there were a lot more games and a lot better quality games that were being produced. So you weren't just playing like Pong or, you know, Super Mario Brothers for hours. And now you were getting like, you know, by the late 90s, you get 
a PlayStation and Xboxes and you get these like really for the time high quality games, which were commanding a lot more of kids attention around this time than a Saturday morning cartoon could because there's an there's an active element of it you know like with a show you're watching and like if you have a toy you can play with it while you're doing it but the video game offers a little bit more of a hands-on experience obviously and so I think that was much more appealing to kids. So I think another kind of little weird byproduct of ACT and the things that they were trying to get you know, push is that I think it gave a lot more parents an awareness of what was going on with what their children were taking in. And I think a lot of parents for the first time were kind of sitting down and watching what their kids were taking in. And I think they were beginning to see for themselves like, oh, wow, okay, this is what they've been watching this whole time. I need to be making some concessions of like, doing more activities with my kids. Like kids shouldn't be watching, you know, hours and hours of television for on end. So I think a lot of parents uh, began to get their kids out of the house and like encourage them to do other activities. And so all of these things are kind of working together to create a, a system where the Saturday morning cartoon just couldn't really flourish anymore. The national like attitude around television was beginning to change. How television was being produced was beginning to change. And so I think ultimately all of those things work together to basically put the death knell into the Saturday morning cartoon. And also animation as a whole was just expanding too. So like I mentioned it briefly, but there were now dedicated channels for children's entertainment many of which were animated, but just animation in general was beginning, the scope of it was beginning to expand. So it's funny because I said that Disney wasn't quite a big leader in the Saturday morning cartoon, but they were ultimately one of the biggest contributors to the Saturday morning cartoon kind of being on the decline because of the Disney Renaissance period. And the Disney Renaissance period invited a new sense of, you know, like, a revived love of animation in a longer format via a movie. And because the Disney Renaissance period was happening for basically every single year of the 90s, you know, kids were more in like into that. Like there was more complex narratives. There were more complex characters. And there was a lot more of a push towards that. We also see a big rise in adult animation. So we see a lot of shows from Liquid Television via MTV. So Daria, Beavis and Butthead, um, later in the early 2000s, things like Clone High. And we just see adult animation kind of really come into like kicking the gear. And we also get shows, obviously the Simpsons kind of reached their fever pitch of popularity in the 90s. We get shows like King of the Hill. We get shows like Family Guy. So like animation just as a medium on television and beyond is spreading its wings a little bit more than it had when it was just kind of sequestered to just television and just certain blocks of television. Like now it is a lot more culturally pervasive than it was before. And so I think they were just the main thing with the internal factors that contributed to the Saturday morning cartoon being on the decline is just the expansion. There was more opportunities to watch. I think one of the biggest things that contributed to the Saturday morning cartoon being a big thing is that you couldn't really do anything else. It was kind of this this scarcity of choice that was happening. 
And as television and as more technology and just things begin to grow, that invites more opportunities for shows and things like a Saturday morning cartoon to be an an active choice that kids and, you know, the like can make. And there were just more opportunities. Like, think about it. In the 60s and 70s, there weren't a lot of opportunities to rewatch anything. Like, once you saw something, that was it. And you kind of had to pray that maybe a rerun or something would come on. But again, rerun was like a very new concept in the 60s due to I Love Lucy. But like, the 70s kind of, there wasn't really an opportunity to rewatch something at home because there weren't a lot of home, like, video viewing things like the idea of you know like a vhs tape was still like very very new and by the 80s it became a little bit more popular and then the 90s a lot of like at home viewing of you know television shows or of movies became a lot more prominent so a child didn't have to you know ponder what they were going to watch on saturday morning if there was a show that they weren't interested in they didn't like slog through it they could just pop in a vhs of i don't know aladdin if that's what they wanted to watch and they would watch that instead of saturday morning cartoons so again it's just like the expansion of choice was another big contributor and it's not a bad thing it's actually a net good um but it ultimately meant that the Saturday morning cartoon was no longer a thing that we really had a necessity for. So I was a bit, you know, hyperbolic with (laughs) the title of this episode by saying that Congress killed the Saturday morning cartoon. It was a part of it. It was a part of it. But ultimately, television grew up. And that's what happens. Like, television is a constantly evolving medium. Animation is a constantly evolving medium. And I think that just ultimately just television kind of grew out of Saturday morning cartoons, much like generations of kids had done before. And now we're just no longer in a place where there's a necessity for that specific type of programming block. That's what killed the Saturday morning cartoon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to do a massive deep dive into the drama and conflama of the <laughs> of the Action for Children's Television and the FCC and advertisers that happened in the 80s. I'm not going to remember all of that. Bestie, I support it. And one thing, it's messy. It's a messy, it's a messy little tango with all of this legislation. So if that's your thing, go for it. But I put all of that information in the description down below. You're welcome. I hope y'all enjoyed this month's topic, which was the Saturday morning cartoon, which was a lot deeper than I initially thought when I was concepting the idea for this month's kind of, you know, 
topic arc. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. I think it was fun. We got to explore a lot of different avenues. We got to talk about a lot of cool stuff. Got to talk about a little bit of drama. And I think it's always a good time. So I hope you will join me again next week for a completely new topic and a completely new pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically, our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.